Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is Motley Full Money. Welcome to Motley Full Money, the podcast that, well... It's not going to put rates up anytime soon. I'm Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool, and I'm joined by Andrew Page from strawman.com. G'day, buddy. How are you? Very good. Yes, rates will remain lower uh, under our uh, custodianship. We, we can guarantee that. <laughs> as, as well as petrol pressure. prices. <laughs> downward pressure on interest rates, man. That's all you've got to say. You don't say rates yet. We're going to put downward pressure. Okay. We'd be, it's lower under us than any, any other podcast. Put it that way. Downward pressure. I like it. Um, <laughs> it's a bit like uh, negative growth almost in a, as a term. I think that's it? exactly right. Yeah, 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 that's right. Rates, yeah. Petrol prices will always be lower under us than our competitors' podcast. So, uh, <laughs> <for us>. Mate, <laughs> that's a nice little kind of economic tangent, political tangent to start with. I like it a lot. Um, mate, how's your week been? Uh, yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Um, you know what? It's it's one of these things I find in investing. A, a week without too much happening is actually good. You know, it's it's sort of like if you've had a really busy yeah. week as an investor, yeah. you know, sometimes it's really great. But more often, yeah. the more work comes from things that surprise you in a negative <laughs> than the things that are like, yep, this is unfolding as I would have hoped and expected. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm very much a believer that no, new, no news is often good news <laughs> in the share market. Just companies are just out there doing their thing, chugging away. Uh, as opposed to, by the way, the CFO has just taken all our money and gone to Bermuda or some some horrible uh-huh. market sensitive announcement. So yeah, no, it's <laughs> it's been pretty quiet. How's yours been? Am, am I the only person who can hear the word Bermuda and not think of Kokomo by the Beach Boys as the first thing that comes in my head? Or is that just me? <laughs> that might just be you. I don't know. It might just be me. I, as soon as you said Bermuda, I was immediately thinking Kokomo. Uh, mate, I've had I've had a good week. Thank you very much. I um I'm going to spring something on you, mate. Just for just for sheer fun. Uh-oh. Just for sheer fun. That I hadn't we haven't actually discussed. And it was when you mentioned the the big week and doing things. And I thought I bought some shares since we chatted last. Oh, did you? Uh, can I, I guess? Did. Can I guess? Yes. Yes. W- was it Fortescue? It was Fortescue. Well done. Because you did mention last week that I you did. like it was it was like it really piqued your interest. So. <laughs> it might have been a week, two weeks ago, I think, or whenever it was. But yes, yes, nice one. So there you go. Bought some Fortescue shares during the week. Um, only a small, only a small proportion, like a tiny portion of my portfolio. Um, does that mean it's gonna, I, does that mean it's going to plummet twenty percent now? Because that's, oh, that's ab- usually what happens when I buy shares. Absolutely, it's just the, before the worst. <laughs> yeah, no, t- terrible. The worst thing was they actually went up like on one day, like nine percent in between us talking about it and, and me buying the shares. Oh, you should be a day trader. Oh, no, no, after no, before I bought them. No, oh, okay. Before, bought, so, yeah, they went up, then I bought them. So I was like, you know, everyone else is a genius. I'm an idiot. Um, yeah, so I, I just I just thought I'd raise it because we did talk about it the last week or the week before, whenever it was. These all start to merge together. Um, yeah, I, I the oil price, the oil price, the iron oil price. <laughs> I know, I know about Fortescue. It's all that oil, right? Um, the iron ore price, um, it was low and actually it's kept going lower, which is probably why the shares have gone nowhere since I bought them. I'm up exactly 0.5%, by the way. Yeah. I just checked. Yeah, um, yeah just a small small position, I think, between the, the iron ore price being where it is and actually I might be beached, blinded by the, the, the bright, dazzling lights of Twiggy Forest, or I'm not sure, but um, the, his, his full-throated support for and move into Hydrogen as a fuel is just fascinating, and the fact that he's actually building his own plant to, to power his own operation. Um, I don't know, you know if, he, if he's keen enough to do it because it, he thinks it makes financial sense. I don't think he's the sort of guy who's going to waste money or lose money just to make a, an environmental point. Mm. I could be entirely wrong, by the way. Mm. Um, but yeah, thought a combination of that, a, a low iron ore price, and uh, and Twiggy's kind of investment in what he thinks is a, a new fuel. I don't know if it's the new fuel, but a new fuel for the future. Um, I thought it was worth a, a small, a small, small dabble. So I did. So let me ask you this. So we, we sort of yes. we we touched on this, I think, last week. Where yep. so if you're buying, I'll throw some random names out there. Maybe you're buying something like uh, a well, let's say a Berkshire Hathaway or a, mm-hmm. a CSL or a Sol Pats or something that mm-hmm. you might sort of what you might term a quote unquote bottom draw stock. In, in the sense that you kind of you don't have to worry too much about valuation. <laughs> it sits there in ten years' time. Yes, you, yeah. you just you just basically get me pulled higher by the ever marching increase in, in profit profitability. Yep. yep. We we sort of we sort of discussed last week how with Fortescue it's it's an area that normally you avoid um, mm-hmm. for some pretty good yeah, reasons. Never, never bought an iron ore miner in my life. And because it's just a really tough game, you're really subject mm-hmm. to swings in commodity prices, FX rates, economic activity, hypercyclical, hypercompetitive commodity-based industry, and all very mm-hmm. good reasons. But, but your your thesis sort of being it's sort of like well, sort of you know bottom of the cycle, another another uh, lever of growth sort of here. Does this mm-hmm. mean that for you there's there is every I know I know you well, so I know and, mm-hmm. and I'm the same. I know that when you, you buy a share, <laughs> the intention is to to hold it for a while. Um, you're not you're not going to look to flip flip it you know Correct. next week kind of thing. 
Correct. But given given that this is Fortescue Metals and given your investing mm-hmm. style, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. there a price at which you would sort of say, okay, this, this thesis has played out, I will now lock that in? Now that might take a year, it might mm-hmm. take two years, it might take a week. But if this if this that's mm-hmm. about what, 15, 16 bucks now, if this got to 24 bucks, you know, by January next mm-hmm. year, w- mm-hmm. would you sell or or do you still hang on? That's a really, really great question, mate. The honest answer is I don't know. Um, so I could, I could tell you the, I could give you the kind of you know theoretical answer and all that kind of stuff. But and that would just be me making stuff up and saying the things I'm supposed to say. Honest answer, I don't know, mm. uh, because part of this investment is iron ore being at a relatively low. It's like a something you know reasonably low price. Um, relatively, it's been two hundred twenty bucks a ton. It's now eighty, ninety ish. Um, I'm not. I'm not making a trading call. And this is not a trading stock in and of itself. Not that it's a trading call, but just like so. No, no, so so, so yes, you, yeah, this, yeah. this thing was at twenty four bucks, like in July, yep. and you yep, you yep, you yep. weren't. And there was no part of you that was even close to to, to correct, wanting to. Correct, correct. But 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 you were tempted into it because it's like, well, twenty four th- bucks is one thing, mm-hmm. fourteen bucks yep. or whatever it got to is is another. Yeah, so that, I just I just wonder if it, if it okay. got just to pick a, a number. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking at the chart. If if it did get to twenty four bucks, it's like well, yep. like well, I wouldn't have bought it then. Maybe I shouldn't hold it now if, if nothing is nothing has changed in the interim yeah pretty close the, the, the challenge I guess the reason I mentioned the iron ore thing is separately the hydrogen thing is its own thing right yep. so there, there is a there is an unquantifiable optionality in Fortescue that didn't exist six months ago or at least didn't exist in the same size gotcha. and scale yep. so honestly yeah yeah. If it, was, if it was 24 bucks in January or February nothing much had changed I probably would consider selling mm. absolutely yep. um, would I uh, short term capital gains tax uh, hydrogen it depends what the iron ore price is a whole lot of bits and pieces that might move around there mm. um, if it got to $24 without the iron ore price moving then almost certainly yes because this would be a case of the market getting ahead of the iron ore price yep. if the iron ore price had moved already um you know, there's a, there's a relative question about what's going on. So there's a, there's a few moving parts. That's why I say I don't know for sure. Um, but yes, in the if it was just a case of if I get a you know, very nice what's what would that be 70 percent ish um, gain in, in three months, it'd be silly to look at that. Not at least consider selling. Yeah. But if if I thought well, you know. Uh, as I said, the two things have changed since July. Are the iron ore prices lower and the hydrogen business is growing and they've hired something like 600 staff and Tui's doing that. Um, so there is there is part of me which is just, you know, I, I, can't, I can't tell you for sure uh, what I would do or what I will do. But, it, you know, I would be very, very, very tempted. Closer to 30 bucks, I'd be absolutely out the door. Um for that reason, but again, not not that I'm not that I'm trying to trade this up and down. If it takes five years to get to thirty bucks, well, I've probably, you know, I've probably lost the market over that period of time as well. So somewhere between those two numbers is is reasonable. Yeah, um, and I don't know for sure, but yeah, just an interesting interesting trade this week. I know, I know, we have started off already on a, a tangent on totally, a tangent. That was my fault. <laughs> but, but I, I want to go yes. on yet another one because you Let's mentioned something it. there that was interesting, and it it comes up a, a lot in my world. So I thought I'd pick yep. your brains on it, which is. The, the tax angle. I, yeah. I am of the view that I think a lot of dumb decisions are made on the basis of tax. <laughs> I agree. So on, on I one agree. hand, I think, should a intelligent investor do what they can to minimise their tax burden? Well, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely yep. you should. But, but should it influence your, your – should it cause mm-hmm. you to do – hold things that you otherwise wouldn't hold or, yeah. or sell things that you otherwise wouldn't sell <laughs> on, that, on that basis alone? So – um, I, I like you, as I said, a long-term investor. But every now and again, mm-hmm. just the market gods shine on you, and something just goes up a lot, <laughs> a lot quicker than you expect. And I did right. this with uh, Point Terra was probably the most recent one because it just exploded no. there for a while. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, and and I actually held shares for years, but I bought some recently. Anyway, blah blah blah. There was, there was a tax consideration there, and I thought mm. actually. I could just wait another four months or so, and I would halve the tax bill on this mm-hmm. parcel of shares that I'm selling. Um, but then who knows what's going to happen in four months' time. I felt the price was a little bit silly at that point and I, and I took the decision to sell. It actually turned out to be the right one. But nice. how, how do you – well, it, that doesn't – yeah, there's process versus outcome. So, I, you know, that just, that just happened to be how it went in that instance. Yep, yep, but in, yep. in, 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 your, in, in your way of thinking, is that something how, – how big an influence is that? On, on making sure you get past that 12-month threshold so you get the 50% capital gain discount? Or is it just something that that um, you don't think about? I don't know. What, what, Both. Um, yep. So I, my, 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 the way I try and approach this is, uh, we've said this before, it's kind of a, you know, when you <laughs> when you do this for a while, you kind of develop phrases and thought processes and kind of, you know, go Mental to, models go is, to, the, is the current the, cool sorry, way of saying it. Say, yep. Frameworks, mental models. Um, yep. Yes. There'll be another one next year. Um, so- 
I, I've said before, when people go to the accountant, they ask, how can I pay less tax rather than how can I maximise my after-tax return? Totally different questions, yeah. And so, right, and so that that's that's the framework for me. So it's mm. how do I maximise my after-tax return, not how do I pay less tax or how do I avoid yep. short-term capital gains tax or how do I pay long-term capital gains tax only? Mm. If I if I made, I don't know, 70% in, you said January, February, so let's, let's, let's assume it's January, in mm. two months. Yep. Um, now, this dividend that's... X in March, so I'd have a think about that. Honestly, mm-hmm. yeah. um, that's a whole different conversation. So there's, that's why that's why it's not an easy answer. Um, this is a, ironically an income stock right now, rather than rather than a pure growth stock. So there's that as part of the conversation. Mm. But yeah, generally speaking, I wouldn't not sell. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't hold just to try and get that long term capital gains tax discount if mm. I thought the shares were meaningfully overpriced. Mm. On the flip side. If I get a seventy percent gain, there's probably what's that work out to fifteen percent of that or so. Um, it swings on the tax treatment. Mm. So the question would be from here until whatever it was, so January until November, do I think I'm going to stand still? In which case, I'd still be 15% better off by holding. Mm. If this is unreasonably overpriced and just like stupid price, well, I should sell. Mm. So, you know, at 30 bucks, I'd sell in January. If it was $23, $22, honestly, I might kind of go, well, it doesn't seem over overpriced and... You know, while I'm not going to do short-term guesstimates, 15, a 15% return for a nine-month holding period isn't exactly extravagant. So I'd probably hang on, really honestly, because in, in that case, unless, you know, we can't know where the share price would go next. But if I didn't think, if I thought it was stupidly priced, I'd be like, well, the market's not going to be stupid for very long, so I'll take advantage of the stupidity. If the price yeah. just rose to, to a what seemed a fair value at that point, there's no obvious um, overvaluation or huge overvaluation that would that would suggest I sell. And and because the flip side is the other thing we say regularly is ignore the price you paid for a share, right? Yes. So yeah. just because I'm up 70%, I shouldn't go, oh, I'm up 70%, I've got to sell then. Yes. Because if $24 is is reasonable value, fair value, even slightly overvalued by then. Yeah. If I knew there's a 15% return, in other words, the tax saving, by hanging on for another nine months, mm. that normally, you know, as a general rule across the market, you won't get 15% in nine months. Yeah. So if it was if it was reasonably priced or within within range of reasonable, I probably would hang on a bit longer for exactly that reason. Yeah. Um, not because I want to minimise my tax, but because I think I would maximise my after tax return between now and next November by doing that. Does that make sense? It does. It's a great answer. I mean, it's it's it is always so so hard to know at the time. In hindsight, will always be twenty twenty. One of the other things I think <laughs> exactly. I think a lot about with with tax is that the best tax situation is zero tax, and the best way to get zero tax <laughs> is to not sell. So yes, so exactly, internally exactly. compounding. Let's That's say right. two two company two scenarios two two investors. Mm-hmm. One one guy just yeah. buys and holds, and he's sort of let's say he gets twenty yep. percent per annum. The other one is trading, so they they they're buying and selling. But even if they are getting the fifty percent capital mm-hmm. discount, sort of sort of waiting over twelve months, and they're selling and they're getting twenty percent per annum. Every yeah. time you sell, the tax man takes his pound of flesh, yeah, and then you've got it. You're reinvesting a lower amount, so that that amount then mm-hmm. has to work extra hard. To, to account for that. So I always feel as though long-term investing just makes a huge amount of sense for a whole bunch of other reasons, which we always yeah. go on about. But I think also from a tax scenario, it is it is just phenomenal because you're not paying mm-hmm. any tax uh, along the way uh, in terms of mm-hmm. your capital component at least, um, which, which is always superior. In fact, so some of them, mm-hmm. someone, I, I haven't done the maths, but someone who's saying getting 15% internally compounding in a company that they're just kept keeping in the bottom drawer, to use that phrase again, is, is probably better off than the person who's trading in and out but getting 20% return. Do, do you know right, what I mean? Right. Over time? Yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And it's easier. That's, that's okay, right. And it's yep. easier. It's less stressful. The, and, the challenge, I think, with, with iron ore, and this is what, like, I don't, I, I, I had to, this is our, this is our, it's the only mining stock I've ever owned other than that is MIM. Mount Isa, Mount Isa, way back yeah. in the day. I've mentioned that one before. It was one of those ones where I had a, a mate who, when I was 20-something, was like, oh, you, what you do is you, you, you buy it when, the, when it's down the chart, you sell it when it's to the top of the chart, which, of course, was silly advice and, you know, um, I lost money doing it and all that kind of stuff. I had to make sure that wasn't an iron ore miner because I said earlier, I've never had an iron ore miner. I thought, I wonder what MIM actually mines. Apparently, it's lead and zinc and copper, so I'm okay. <laughs> uh, but I had no idea what it did. So <laughs> that's, a, that's, its own, that's its own story. Um, uh, but, but iron ore is uh, going to be a cyclical commodity. So this is where this is this is one where I will have to consciously do this one differently mm. to the way I would invest almost my the entire rest of my portfolio. Mm. I have one company I bought RFG at seven no about fourteen cents. Mm. 
which I'm now down about 40% on, by the way, so mm. that's my stupidity of trying to play turnarounds. I thought at 14 cents, look, it's either going to go broke or it's worth more than 14 cents. Yep. Thus far, I was wrong on both counts. It's only worth half. Um, so, so I, you know, I, I split the difference beautifully. Um, so that, but the rest of everything else is long-term as an investment. Mm. And uh, the... But the Fortescue one can't. Well, it could be, but you're going to have to recognise it's a cyclical, right? Mm. I have no long-term think thought that in uh, ten years' time, owner is going to be four hundred and fifty dollars a ton, and therefore owning Fortescue is going to make me a fortune. Yeah, I, I think, and I've said really clearly, including on this podcast, that the owner price should remain close-ish to the cost of production, and it kind of is not miles away now from the all-in cost, mm. much much higher than the cash cost, but the all-in cost of about sixty bucks a ton, depending on who you're talking to, mm. at the marginal cost, right? So that's mm. why I thought, okay, the share price is down to fourteen, fifteen bucks. The the all-in cost is not miles below the current price. Mm. So I felt like the risk reward was in favour of the buyer, plus the hydrogen thing is a free option. Mm. So that was that was kind of the, the broad thinking. Um, now, if and when the iron price goes to $150, dollars $300, I'm going to th- say, hang on, that's not a reasonable price, it's not sustainable, and the share price will respond to that. And at that point, I'm, act- I'm absolutely looking for an exit. If the iron price remains rational for extended periods of time, then Fortescue will make money simply by mining it and I can treat it as an operational business like a, a transactional business like any other company that we know. Mm. And the hydrogen business, again, I'll keep an eye on because it could be worth something or nothing or both. Um, but that's, that. you know, to my mind, that's the difference. So I, I don't expect to hold this one for 10 years. Mm. Um, I, I th- there is an exit price and exit time. I can absolutely, I think it's more likely than not depending on how the share price and the commodity price moves over time. I just, I just thought it was digging into a little bit more... Um, and hopefully it's useful to listeners because I think mm. too often we always think about why we're buying a share, but we yeah. don't think yeah. about what, <laughs> what, I mean, there's this thing called the share market, but mm. there's like a thousand ways to skin that cat. And you've got to have a very clear idea of, you, you can actually do very different things on the share. You buy yeah. for yeah. V- various different reasons and stuff, but you need to have a mm-hmm. clear idea of that going into it. And I think yeah. it's always worth thinking in advance, okay, this is why I'm buying and these are the conditions under which I would sell. Because w- it, without thinking of that, you, you suffer from this thing called the, the endowment effect. It's like, mm-hmm. well, now that I hold yeah. it, I'm thinking yeah. about it very yeah. differently than I would objectively if I didn't hold it. Mm-hmm. And, mm. and I, I see, I, well, I speak from experience, but I also mm. observationally, you just, I just notice that that happens a lot. People buy for one reason and then they hold for a very different reason. And it's just, you know, if you're out there, you know, um, trying to struggle away in the market as we all are, I, I think it's just one urging I would give to people is to think through that a little bit in advance mm. before mm. you even mm. press the buy button. Yes. Because uh, and, and then write it down <laughs> because you'll convince yourself that it's different now mm-hmm. <laughs> later on down the track because it, it, it's just going to it's going to clarify your thinking. I think it's going to hold yourself to account, and you're the mm-hmm. easiest person to trick. Um, the easiest person to trick is yourself. So yeah, ho- hopefully that's <laughs> some food for thought. I think so. And 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 the other thing I would say, mate, is is when you think about when to sell, it should be criteria, not time, and not price. Yeah, yeah. Because there, I, yes. I, I might sell four skew at ten dollars. Yeah, I, in in a week's time. Yeah, I might sell it for ten dollars in five years' time. I might sell it for forty dollars in January. Yeah, um, and and almost anywhere in between, and for any length of time in between, because you know, so it's it's criteria. If for me, I'm going to look at the iron ore price and say, does the is the market pricing a share the shares as if that that, that stupidly high iron ore price is forever, which mm. is what they were doing six months ago. Yeah, uh, which was always done. We said so at the time. So yeah, at that point. That's a, that's a, now that might happen in January. It might happen January twenty twenty four. Might happen in January twenty thirty two. For all I know, mm. um, and again, mm. the hydrogen business might suck and literally suck money out of the business for years to come. It might be a white elephant. And Twiggy goes, I thought it was smart. Uh, I still believe in it, but I can't make it happen. So I'm not going to do it anymore. But yeah, there's a, there's a million different permutations. So yeah. it's not just a price and a time necessarily. I know you weren't saying that, but just for our listeners, it's not just a price and a time. It's a whole lot of stuff around that as well. Interesting. Should we get to the actual agenda for the? Uh, <laughs> We're only like fifteen minutes in, but yeah, yeah okay, sure. Hey, oh, sure. Who's counting? Who's counting, um, mate? I just thought it was just for fun. Hey, um, let's let's go back quickly to some macro. We don't spend heaps time on it, or maybe we do, but we shouldn't. Um, Governor Lowe this week. This was a fascinating speech, and I'm not even sure if there's an investing takeaway, but it's if you if you have a mortgage, if you, if you want a job, if you like getting paid. Um, a really, really, really fascinating speech, mate, because there is so much going on in this macro between inflation, wages, and interest rates. That three-sided dance is a fascinating one at the moment. And Lowe kind of, to my mind, started to soften his approach on when the rates were going to go up next. 
They've been saying forever, look, we think it's going to be 2024. He never actually said it would be, by the way, and this is what people get wrong. I've said this before on the podcast, but just to remind people, to be fair to Lowe, he didn't say it will be 2024 come hell or hot water. He yes. said, we want price growth and wages growth. We think that'll take until 2024 to happen. When it does, we'll put rates up. Yeah. That's what he said. So the market says, uh uh-uh, we think it's actually going to be 2022. Mm-hmm. And Lowe's gone, no, 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 we're definitely 2024. This week, the speech was fascinating, mate, because he kind of said, well, we still think 2024 is probable. Mm. And that's not – now, in, we've got to remember, like, for, for the rest of us in the real world, it's kind of the same thing. Right? Yeah, I see, you, you kind of think, it, well, what's the difference? Isn't right. that what you were saying before? Yeah. Unless you're a bureaucrat, yes. in which case those small changes, particularly a reserve bank bureaucrat or central bank bureaucrat worldwide, those small changes in language matter a whole lot. Oh, yeah. Because he's now, he's now, and they're aware that they're they're not, they're not ignorant of that fact at the same time. Correct. Oh, that's why they're doing it. That's exactly why they're doing it. They're doing it to to say to the market, we're slowly changing our minds, giving you guys some chance to get used to it before we actually have to come out and change. Yeah. Now, I don't think they're necessarily planning to change, but I think Lowe's reading the tea leaves and saying, well, it's now more likely than it was before Mm. that we'll have to do it earlier. Yeah. So I just thought that was that was interesting change in, in language. The other thing, mate, was he said, and this is a reminder for everybody else, they see neutral rates. Between two and a half and three and a half percent at the cash rate, mm. not not the rate you and I pay on a mortgage. The cash rate, the, the cash rate for those who are playing at home is currently zero point one percent. It's a long. If way it goes up. from zero point one to two and a half, that's extra two point four percentage points. Yep, I can do my maths. That apparently, I read an article. I haven't done the maths independently, but I'm sure someone did it. I read an article that the average Sydney mortgage is seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars at the moment. That would add a thousand dollars a month. Mm. If it went back to normal, thousand dollars a month to the average mortgage repayment, and that's worth thinking about, mate. Because the other thing we talked about a lot this week was wages. I will come back to a central point here. I'll let you jump in. But so you got inflation on one hand, which is kind of you know playing around three-ish in America at six point two percent this week, which is phenomenally huge. They still think it's transitory, by the way. The US Fed, so there's that. Yeah. Um, wages here two point four percent increase for private sector workers, one point seven for government workers. The average was two point two, the best in years, but actually still below the inflation rate. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. again, what do you want, right? You want wages? Yep, great wages got. That's wonderful. Inflation's got up more. You'd be better with a smaller wage increase and no inflation yep. than a two point four percent wage increase that we all two point two jump around about. Except if inflation's three, you actually can buy less than you could this time last year. And by the way, if that wage increase leads to a Interest rate increase, yeah, I might get three percent more wages. But if you're paying a thousand bucks more a month on your mortgage, again, things are kind of going backwards. So I just thought it was a an interesting way to kind of discuss that those general geopolitical settings. And you mentioned, I say geopolitical, I should say, um, oh, what the word is? It's not geopolitical. Anyway, the, the kind of regulatory political settings because mm-hmm. you mentioned at the top keeping power prices down, petrol prices down, keeping rates down, all that kind of stuff. Um, rates are supposed to go up when the economy gets back to normal. Yeah, it's kind of supposed to happen, right? So when the pollies argue about, no, this is a different tangent, I should let you jump in between, but I'll keep going now I've started. When the police jump in and say, oh, they're, they're going to push rates up, they're terrible, or, you know, we're the only ones who can keep rates down or whatever it is. Um, and again, I don't care which side you're on, I don't have a, a view on this one particularly. Um, uh, you know, just just remember that rates are supposed, like that's how they're supposed to work. Yeah. They don't go down and keep going down forever. That's not how they, like you should want rates to go up. If you believe in the monetary system, Here's the, here's the other thing, right? If you don't believe rates should go up at some appropriate time, if you're a politician, your platform should be, we will abolish the RBA and we will cancel monetary policy as a tool of, of responsible government. Yep. If, if your only argument is we'll, rates will always be lower under us or we're going to put downward pressure on rates or we want rates to go down, I know it plays well in the mortgage belt, I get it, but what you're actually saying is we don't think using interest rates to dampen economic excess and to support economic weakness is actually a viable policy. We actually don't think monetary policy should be used at all. We're going to cancel interest rate movements. Or more, or more, or you could say that we, the economy is not going to be going that great. That's why the interest rates are going to stay yeah. low. So well, that's it, it right? Yeah. Exactly. Yes. It wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't it be and better does, to have a very strong low? economy where we're all, you know, Correct. Let's, let's assume naively, perhaps, that everyone's equally participating in that that um, that wealth yep. creation, yep. That, yep. And, and pay a higher interest rate. That, that's that's better for us overall. And Correct. plus, Correct. plus, as I've often said, you've got a little bit of dry powder for when the next speed bump happens. That that's you can actually because- lower rates and, and cushion yep. that. You know, when is it point one, and we hit a recession at some point? It's like, what do you? What does the RBA do? You know, that's when you have to get into all the money money printing kind of stuff because you can't yep. do anything on the pol- on the on the rates lever. 
Rates have to get back to to idle level, neutral level. Uh, so you can put them down or up as you need to. If they're already down, you can't put them down any further. They see it's being useless. You have to get back to normal. The RBA knows that. The polies, of course, know that. They just choose not to say it. And again, this is either side of politics, right? You see plenty of it on both sides. Um, those who don't want rates to go up, you know, either because you're in government or because you're in opposition, you blame the government because rates go up or you you claim you're going to keep rates down if you stay in government. No matter which side you're on here, the whole thing is stupid. Yeah. Um, an honest politician would well, oxymoron. An honest politician would come out and say, uh, I don't know where rates are going to go. If they go up, that's probably good for the economy. You can't, of course, because Keating said the recession we had to have and you know paid for it the rest of his political career. Um, but the, the honest reality from those who are prepared to speak the truth and hear the truth is rates will go up and should go up to normal when the economy is at normal. That's the point. Yeah, yeah. The, your rates should only be at emergency levels, which say, ah, oh, the RBA is still saying this is this is technically emergency levels. If there's an emergency, that's that's the point, right? The other thing, the other thing, Wait, I'm thinking as well when you mentioned like going from 0.1 to 2.5 is 2.4 percent yep. increase. It's actually a 25 yes. fold, 25 x increase in your yes, interest yes. bill, Correct. right? Like that is yep. 25 times more than what you were paying before. Well, at least Correct. the interbank, the banks are for for keeping their money right, with right, the reserve. Right. Um, yes. That's it. It's probably going to be a doubling-ish of the interest you pay. It won't be a doubling of the repayments, of course, because you're paying principal at the same time. But yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. That's it, it's it's you know when you go for, if you're paying two percent, one point nine nine percent, probably fixed right now. If you by the time that expires, you might be paying three and a half or four mm. potentially. It won't be that quick, by the way. But at some point, that you know you, you'll be doubling your interest bill for sure as a as a as a mortgage holder. Yeah, 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 yeah. If, if and when it goes that high, by the way, I'm not yeah. predicting it'll happen immediately overnight. But the RBA themselves are saying we want to get rates back to normal. That mm. normal is two and a half to three and a half. Mm. So you got to get used to it, mate. Um, your thoughts on, on just the macro scene, the inflation, interest rate, wages kind of construct, lows of speech. So, any other thoughts? I kind uh, of I, I just ranted and kept going. We kind of chat before the podcast each week and just go, ah, oh, inflation. I mean, what else is there to say? <laughs> but it's the story that doesn't go away because it is. Yeah. It is yeah. so. It is so central to everything. Yep. So it's hard. It, it, it's the biggest sort of thing out there um, because if rates mm-hmm. do go up, it just has such significant implications, ramifications for markets, for houses, for everything. Yeah. Um, and I just hear really smart arguments on both sides. This is always my yeah. conundrum with this kind of stuff yeah. is that no one really knows, but but there are some really good narratives on both sides and I kind of land when it's just like, well, that makes sense, oh, but so does mm-hmm. that. And And... And I'm sort of stuck in it. So I, I, you know, my, as I've often said here, it's sort of, you know, hope for the best, prepare for the worst kind of stuff, yeah. I think is a very good thing rather than trying to have an accurate forecast, which is probably a mugs game. Just, just make sure that mm-hmm. you're in a pretty good position no matter what happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, it, it's, it's really tricky. And, and this is the question, is it transitory? So we've had all these supply chain disruptions, you know, mm. I saw an interesting chart the other day where it's sort of like, the, in, the inflation has all come from goods. We, we spent a lot more money on services pre-pandemic because we could go out and do stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And we couldn't time, do yeah. that for a long time. Yeah, so we right. all sat that's at right. home and ordered stuff online. And we, so when, it went from a services-based sort of spending to a, to a goods-based spending. Um, so there's all these really good reasons to expect that, oh, well, this, mm. this was actually, we can probably put this to the side for a little bit because it's, it's yeah, all to do with yeah. this pandemic thing. Uh, and once once that sort of washes through the system, it'll it'll go back to mm-hmm. to normal, yeah. um, and that's that's probably the the hope. But but I could I could easily see it going the other way as well. I mean, one of the things that's come up in my world a lot in the last little while. So I, I, I I've got a very heavy bias towards technology companies, mm-hmm. um, and they're all saying we can't get workers. Yeah, we can't the get chips. workers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And 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 if you're a developer, well done to you because now is you are you are in a mm-hmm. golden era. You, you could basically, if you're half good mm-hmm. at your job, you can basically mm-hmm. work for wherever you want and get paid yeah. really really well for it because there's just such a shortage of talent that's out there at the moment. Yeah. That's going to get priced on wherever possible for a lot of these sort of companies. So that, so that that's where it feeds back into the real economy in terms. Of you're going to have to pay higher prices because mm-hmm. it's either these companies mm-hmm. eat it or they if they can, and many of them can, they will, they will sort of pass that on. Um, Mm. So that's a little bit different from supply chain disruptions and that's, that's actual genuine wage pressures. Uh, And that's in one segment of the market. And I'm, you know, and, but, but even you hear it with fruit pickers, even you hear it with um, Mm -hmm. uh, hospitality stuff, retail stuff. We're we're finding, you know, when I say we, the economy, people out there Mm. in those, Mm. in those sectors Mm. are finding it very difficult to find people. And what is, Mm. and what does that mean? Well, you have to put your you have to put you have to you have to make the offer more attractive to attract people, and that's mm. when and then so all of a sudden the barista who may may have been getting thirty 
bucks an hour, 35 bucks an hour, you have to pay 40 bucks an hour. In percentage terms, it's quite a big increase there. And that's probably going to mean a higher price for a cup of, for a cup of coffee. Uh, and that's going to come through to the inflation. <laughs> and that's going to be noticed by the RBA and ergo interest rates may may well go up. So that's, right. that's the real thing here. It's sort of trying to understand what is the driver of this inflation. Yes, there are some transitory things, but are these, the thing that I'm more uh, wary of is these wage pressures and and because if, if they are more um, real and more more sustained, I think that's when you do get to very credible expectations for for rates having to go up. And that's the challenge. I think that's uh, we we've said lots of times, mate. I I said this week I gave a uh, I did a quick video for some of our members both here and in the US, and the, it was just exactly that conversation of normally I would say don't worry about the macro. Normally you would say, well, I know what businesses do in these environments. It, w- we have we are in re- a really really strange situation. In- immigration is effectively stopped. Mm. Student arrivals have effectively stopped. As you say, tech workers, in theory, for some reason, a combination of those reasons and others, are hard to find. Um, wage inflation may or may not be happening. Global supply chain is stuttering because when you shut something down, then try and restart it, it just takes a while for it to find its own rhythm. Yeah. And as you say, that the, the biggest challenge with all of this stuff is. What is transitory? Mm. What is new? What is short term? What is long term? How do I respond to that? Mm. Um, you know, I, I don't want to overdo it because I don't want people to, again, the, the basic fundamental uh, investing approach remains exactly the same as it always has. And so partly it's, okay, well, kind of, you know, for the most part, as long as you're long-term focused, assume most of these things get worked out is, is a good approach that serves you really well most of the time. Mm. But, you know, we th- these are, again, I don't want to use, un- as I said, so- someone said, the, the joke is there's been an unprecedented growth in the use of the word unprecedented. <laughs> so um, true. But we're in those strange times. Li- I mean, literally, I, I don't, in my adult life, we've not had something this strange. Yeah. And so that's just, it just is what it is, right? Um, stagflation in the early 80s where we had high inflation and, and low economic growth was probably, you know, unprecedented in the same sort of way. Between the two, you have recessions, you have ups and downs, but none of them are really un- unprecedented in that sense. Mm. This is just really strange, uncharted territory. So it's it is a bit hard to kind of work out what to do next um, from from that perspective. Mm. But uh, you know, from from and I guess I, honestly, mate, I, I'm we're an investing podcast, generally speaking, but we're also a general finance podcast to some degree as well. And I guess that's why I want to talk about it because. I want our listeners to have a think about the mortgage rate they're paying, what will happen when rates go up, not if. Mm. Um, the, the impact of, as I said, you want your wages to go up 3 or 4%. We all do, but if, the, if, your, home, if your home loan repayment goes up 500 bucks a month as a result of that, oh, unless the pay rising, you know, you, you care for what you wish for, right? And again, not that you have any choice as an individual, mm. but just be aware of that stuff because mm. these things are going to flow through the economy potentially there's definitely a range of outcomes. And so I would say to, to our listeners, if you have the opportunity to prepare yourself, as you said, for a range of possible future financial outcomes, take the opportunity now to do that. Mm. You know, really think about it because I don't want anyone to get blindsided by the, oh my God, what do you mean interest rates are now up one full percentage point? Or, you know, what, what do you mean? I got a, I got a pay rise, but I've still got less money left at the end of the month because I'm I'm paying more in interest or mm. whatever it is. Um and by the way, I do also want people to think about the election from a uh, spin perspective. And just remember that that kind of economic rubbish that both parties spout about who's responsible for the good stuff and the bad stuff and all that is also usually largely rubbish. So just just be mindful of that and kind of try and discount that as well when it comes to the election because um, if you can, we'll end up with a better government hopefully. Yeah, and, and also remember too, there's a lot of things that government can't really control. We, we are, oh. you know, we, we, we are uh, subject to the to a whole bunch of factors that, that are outside of anyone's sort of control. Yep. Yep. So it's, I think it's a, it's a mistake that any party to sort of claim that they they can have much of a meaning, totally. particularly yeah. when you're two percent of the global economy. Crazy, you know. Yep. It's yep. <laughs> and we import, and we you know more than we export, and etc. And it just yep. and, and what we import is very different to what we export. Or like, you know, there's, there's just things. Global matter. trade, commodity prices, yeah. global geopolitics, local geopolitics, and even whatever you do now, but something works through the economy. Yeah, we're, we're probably this, this economy is probably well. It's all about COVID, right? But even even early 2020, before COVID hit, that economy was the result of economic decisions made in 2012, 13, and 14. Yeah, not made not made six months earlier, right? Yeah. Because the settings that you put in place create the economy and the country you want to live in at that point in time. I should say really quickly, mate, just because this can get really political really quickly. I said I hope we get a better government. I wasn't arguing for a change in government necessarily. Just saying I hope the government we end up with is better in terms of its understanding and communication of the real economic issues, not the not the slogan rubbish. So whichever well, party that is, I hope that's great. 
Um, but I just want to make that clear point. Well, I said something on um, on Twitter accidentally, which I was taken to mean I wanted. To, I can't remember if it was the same government or a different government. Uh, what do you mean you want these guys? Like, oh, that's not what I said. So just to be really clear, I hope our governance is better than it is today. Uh, under either party, if they are the better party, that is fine with me. Um, I just want them to basically improve stuff because the you know the current the current uh, rhetoric is not very helpful. Yeah. Put it that way. I just, I just hate the tribalism too. You can like a party oh, and yeah. still hate some of their policies and that kind of yep. stuff. So you, the world's not right. black and yep. white, right? Like, so I think this is what's fascinating about investing is that it's always sort of considered through a very financial kind of lens. Mm, but mm. what what I love about this whole game is that it's it's such it's such a broad uh, sweeping kind of uh, thing where you you do have to think about politics mm. and macro mm. and business models and consumer trends. And that's what's so fascinating about all yeah, of this kind of stuff. Right. You know, it's not yeah, like yeah, yeah. You, yeah. You, you, you can look at every single financial statement uh, for mm-hmm. a company going back a million years. It only tells you a fraction. <laughs> it's really important, but it's a yeah, tiny fraction yeah, yeah. of what you need to know. And as I've, as I've yep. gotten older and hopefully a little bit wiser, I've actually felt as though actually the qualitative stuff is probably oh, more important than the yeah. quantitative stuff in yeah, a lot of yeah. ways. You know, what's a, what's yeah. a PE ratio of 16? What does that tell you about a company? Well, nothing unless you know all the other stuff that goes with that. You know, what area it operates in, how po- politics is likely to affect that, how global trade is mm-hmm. likely to affect that, how this and this and this and this is likely to affect that. That's what makes it all so fascinating. So it's kind of, yeah. I don't feel as though we need to apologise too much when we get into these realms because it does matter and it does, and you don't have to be, we're not, yeah, you know, it's not a question of who's right or wrong, but it's a question of having at least thought about it and considered about it because it all it all feeds into this. So I love it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of qualitative too, mate, the other thing I will say very quickly and we'll move on is um, the, the, it's also worth remembering that if something's qualitative and historical, everybody knows it yep. by definition, right? So literally using last year's profit as a way to, to work out whether to buy or sell shares of a stock, everyone else has that information. Unless you're the first person with that knowledge, it's now in the price. Yep. I'm not a big fan of the efficient markets hypothesis, generally speaking, mm. but the market is pretty efficient most of the time and there are God knows how many computers who have at their disposal, automated or not, last year's profit results for Woolworths, mm. right? Knowing that number is of zero use to you moving forward. Yep. You know, the qualitative questions about is this a better business in years to come, that's – it's almost – well, I won't say it's all that matters because it, it almost by definition can't. You know, generalizations are not very useful, but – it's vast bulk of what matters is what happens from here because you can't get especially if it, if you can, it's already in the price. If if you if someone said to you in the in the investing world all you can get is last year's profits, it'd be priced perfectly by definition. Yep. That would be the point. Yeah, but you're not getting next year's profits. Well, Mate, you, well, just very quickly, that just to go yeah, full circle a little bit. That's that's why people might look at Fortescue Metals at the moment and go, I'm just <laughs> I've got it on Comsec here and it's telling me that I've got right, a dividend right. yield of 19.8 percent. I know. I'm well, that's just unbelievable. Well, <laughs> that's based on last Except, year's dividend, right? So right. it's the future. When, when the iron ore price was two hundred and twenty bucks a ton, rather than now when it's yeah, much less. Uh, futures, you're not getting you're not going to get a twenty percent yield. I hate to disappoint. Correct. You're not Correct. going to happen. The market's not that silly. It, <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Yeah, well, I, I am potentially. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Let's move on, mate. Speaking of earnings, because CBA was out this week and we've talked about banks over a few weeks. So I'm not going to spend a heap of time on it, but I wanted to raise it for a couple of reasons. First is most people own it. So let, let, that just, it's, it's, is it the most widely held stock? Must be bloody close. One top three if it's not. Well, it's when you held. factor in, when you factor in superannuation. Yeah. Um, oh, we all own it then. Yeah. Then we all own it, right? Like yeah. I don't care what yeah. super fund you're in, yeah. almost yeah. definitely you own a part of Commonwealth Bank and all the banks. Yeah. Shares fell 8%. On was it Wednesday, Wednesday this week? I think <clears throat> uh, when the company announced the profit was up twenty percent. Um hang on, hang what, on. What? Um, so look, we've talked about banks being expensive for a long time. I still hold that view even after the falls. Yeah, um, although too. Westpac is a, what was a couple of weeks ago cheaper than it had been in five years, or sorry, as cheap as it was five years ago. Mm. Um, so gone nowhere in five years, up and down a lot, but but in the in the end of the day, nowhere. Um, CBA fallen eight percent. Profit growth, 20%. The reason was two things. First is profit growth was up on the same time a year ago, but it was actually down on previous quarters sequentially. So it's easy to be up on last year because last year's numbers were terrible. But if you're down on last, you know, three months ago, mm. then sequentially something's going wrong. The company then explained that to a large degree, not, not directly linking the two, but they're saying there is pressure on bank margins, net interest margins. And this is one of those stories where, 
I don't think you or I are super surprised, um, but the reality is that despite record high house prices and, and phenomenally fast growth, bank credit is not growing very fast mm. and they are competing like cats and dogs to get your business, which is great if you're a mortgage holder. Yeah. It's not great if you're a bank shareholder because the margin of getting squeezed is a result. Mm. Banks are borrowing at the rate they're borrowing for. They set their own pricing, but that pricing is being squeezed. That not So it's not their costs are going up necessarily. In fact, costs came down for CPA, mm. but the, the, the price they can charge... You know, in retail land, it's the price of a can of baked beans on the shelf. In bank land, it's the price of a loan. And we know it's come down in general, but in terms of the, the the margin between what they have to pay for that money, what they can lend it out at, has come down. That's what they call their net interest margin. And that's on the squeeze, mate. That's what's hurt Commonwealth Bank. And, and the others. they're not sure they can fix it. Well, that's, right, that's yep. what I was going to say. They're not sure they can fix it. The market doesn't like it. But it's a reminder that if they're having a margin squeeze, they're not operating in a silo here. They'll pick up some market share, by the way. So they might be, it's possible they're squeezing themselves harder than they need to or their competitors are because they want that business. Mm. Now, if that's true, it hasn't really helped them. But uh, so we shouldn't, we shouldn't necessarily say every bank is necessarily the same. But yeah, if one bank, let's be honest, if you go to a broker and you don't care which bank you go with, it's a price game. Yep. If one bank is, is, is having trouble with margins, it's fair to assume everyone is, isn't it? Yep, I, I, I think so. Um yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty big deal, and the thing that sort of strikes me with it all is even after this. Well, it's actually as we talk now, it's further one point something percent below where it was yesterday after nine after that nine percent fall. Um, so we should say we're recording this on Thursday, the eighteenth of November, just a date stamp it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it's up thirty percent tomorrow, but it's not looking good so far. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Um, but even on even on where it is, it's no. it, you're still on a forward price to earnings multiple. So taking the mm-hmm. consensus estimate for what earnings are going to be. Mm-hmm. In the year ahead, it's on a forward multiple about 20, 22 times, which is That's really uh, high. Yeah. <laughs> it's a when, lot. When it's really, a well, lot. one, it's high historically for yeah. for a for a very large mature blue chip company that's not likely. Mm. It's not this, this isn't zero, right? It's not going to grow yeah, at, yeah, at high double yeah. digit rates. Yeah. And just to put that also into context, the three main rivals are trading between fourteen and sixteen times now. Yeah. CBA, for probably pretty good reasons, has has historically traded at a bit of a premium to the others because it just mm. it's so far at least it's been run a bit better. They've got they've gotten better results. But yeah. that's a heck well, one, it's a very high number. Two, it's a heck of a premium. And in, in a in an oligopoly where there's not that much growth to be had that you're going to grab that someone else can't. It's not like there's Commonwealth Bank has access to, to some massive growth market that no one else is finding. So it, you're all fighting over the same pie. And I, I read um, somewhere as well that even if it continues to trade at a 10% premium to its peers, for its current multiple to make sense, it needs to deliver uh, profit mm. growth 5% higher per year for the yeah. next five years than its competitors to rationalise that. So is CBA a well-run business? Yes. Did they pick up a little bit of market share? Yes. But at the same time, their margins are falling. Can they really grow that that much better Mm. and continue Mm. to track that much of a margin to justify it? I I don't know. It's, 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 again, it's not, it's, it's not, don't for a second think that I'm saying, oh, it's definitely not, but it's that asymmetry that I'm so fond of, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but in a negative way, in the sense that it's kind of like, well, if it does, then you'll be okay. If it doesn't, there's a Mm, lot of downside. mm. It's that heads I win a little bit, tails I lose a lot. It's like, it's not a good bet to my mind. That'll flip at some point, but at this point, Given especially mm. those results, I, I I think the market was actually quite rational in what it, in its reaction, um, okay. and probably should have seen it coming given what the other banks had said because it doesn't operate in a silo. Um, but I think even with that, it it still seems a little bit expensive. I think there's a so much to unpack here, mate. Um, drinking the Kool Aid is problematic. So I think part of this is everyone says Commonwealth Bank's a better bank, therefore everyone pays more for Commonwealth Bank. Until they don't. And that's why I think the bigger fall happened was like, well, everyone bought Commonwealth Bank because everyone else said Commonwealth Bank was the best bank, so everyone else bought it. So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy mm. until it unwinds in a, in a hurry when someone says, oh, but I thought you said, but I thought you said, mm. but I thought, I'll oh, 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 sell, sell, sell. You know, it's, it's one of those kind of, you know, um, uh, yeah, I would say wisdom crowds, but there's definitely a lot of value in having someone provide confirmation bias for you. And I think in this case, um, it, it probably better that I, I would speculate. The other thing, this is not my idea, and I wish I knew who it was because I could quote, I could credit them because I really like it. Is I'm a massive fan of investing in quality businesses, right? They're genuine quality businesses. But I've also heard said, don't pay twice for quality. Yeah. And when they say that there's two reasons, right? The quality of a business has already generated today's level of profitability. Mm. 
So you kind of don't, like it's already in the number. So if you're paying, let's say you've got two business, right? One sucks and one is great uh, in terms of quality. And so one, one's got a profit margin of X, the other's got a profit margin of 2X, all that good stuff, it's all true. The good business, it, it, it therefore, earns $100 a year in profit. The bad business earns $10 a year in profit because mm. it's a better quality business, right? You know that stuff. So you know that you can pay it. You pay it. So that's already earning more. So in terms of the share price, if you pay ten times earnings for both businesses, mm. you're already paying for that initial. You're paying for the higher level of profit in the higher share price. Mm. The fact the share prices are different is by its very nature, you're paying up because the profit's already been delivered, right? You, you put a multiple on the level of profit. It's a higher quality business, so there's more profit. So there is already a higher share price. That's already in the price. Yeah, it's more about. You the- don't want to pay. Sorry, go, go on. on, go on. Well, you don't. You don't. So, so the, the next question then is. Is it going to grow fast? Right, that was, right, and you've already made that point about that five percent more growth, and that's what's important, right? So don't don't pay more for CBA because it's a better bank, right? Only pay more for CBA if it's going to grow fast, because that's all that matters. Yes. From this point forward, if CBA was a worse bank, the, it would have less profit, and the share price would already be lower. It's a better bank, so the share price is higher because it's making more money. Mm. It's already in the price. Literally, the PE does that for you. It already says the price is the multiple of the current level of earnings. Mm whatever level of earnings you've got. So don't pay twice, you know, you don't pay 15 times earnings for a, a great quality business and 10 times for a bad business if they're both going to grow up the same rate moving forward. It yep. makes no sense, yep. literally. Yep. Mathematically, intellectually, rationally, no sense. Mm. So just be a little bit careful of paying twice for quality. Yep. Pay up if that quality is going to deliver faster growth, yep. for sure. Definitely. But don't pay up just because... Now, all of that said, CSL has been on a stupidly high PE for a very long period of time because everyone else still believes. Mm. And the reality of it, for, we talked about this with um, Pushpay a little bit last week, Matt. Mm. The challenge for investors is, you know, the market can simply, I said, I mentioned about Commonwealth Bank, CBA has got a higher PE because everyone says it's a quality bank, so everyone pays up, so everyone pays up, so everyone pays up. And it's one of those emperor, emperors, you know, <laughs> emperors wearing no clothes thing, right? If no one says, hey, the emperor's got no clothes on, Everyone could, you know, Commonwealth Bank could trade a P of 24 forever and the other banks could be on 15 forever and that may never change, even if it deserves yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. So you've also just got to be, don't, don't just be careful about assuming the market is somehow going to discover its own rationality because it just doesn't necessarily, it should happen rationally, but it doesn't need to and it won't necessarily. By the way, I think CSL is a great business. Well, I was just going to say- I never owned it. I'm not going to pay 40 times earnings for it because the growth doesn't justify it, but- if everyone else thinks it does, then they're welcome to and I'll be wrong for as long as they disagree with me. Well, I, I think CSL has been – yes, it's a super high-quality business, but I think the growth has been there. I mean, they've doubled their per share profit over the last five years, give or take. Like doubled. Mm-hmm. So that's 12%, 12% growth a year? You pay 40 times earnings for a 12% grower? You've got, uh, you got a lot of businesses that are in your portfolio that are on lower per years and higher growth. Yeah, but this is this is this isn't like a hundred million dollar company that's growing. At, this is this a hundred and forty billion dollar company that's growing at that mm-hmm. pace, and probably can sustain that for a very very long time. I, I mm-hmm. so I mean this is this is where it gets interesting, right? But that, that yeah, we're, correct, we're, we're focusing in on the area that, that, that's my point. that you yes. need to focus yes. on. That's yeah. Yes. You, you can have your own view, but just have your view on the right yes. thing, <laughs> which is your point. No, that, that's that's yeah, exactly. That's, yep. we're, we're we're agreeing. Um, so yeah, look, it's, it's just it just be be a little bit careful with. Um, with that, I think I'm not buying the banks anytime. I bought iron ore miners, so who knows? Anything could, anything could change. Um, I'm not buying the banks anytime soon, mate. Oh, there is a price, by the way, for some of those banks, um, but it's it's many lower oh, they, than here. Are, and we may still get this. This is, this is the thing, because I do get the odd bit of hate mail, <laughs> um, <laughs> is that CBA, CBA is a phenomenally high-quality business. It'll mm-hmm. be around for a long time to come, I dare yes. say. Yep. Um, yep. Yep. And it's a very low risk. Like you might might mm-hmm. pay too much and maybe you don't get, you underperform the market a little bit, but you're never going to go backwards over any yeah. long stretch of time. So that's that's important to sort of stay. So when we're sort of saying, oh, I wouldn't buy it, it's not for me, don't, don't jump to the conclusion saying it's an awful business. It's, yeah. it's not. Yep. It's just com- compared to all your other options that are out there at the moment, <laughs> it's just probably not as attractive as, it, as, mm-hmm. as others. And there's mm-hmm. probably a point in the future where it becomes far, far, far more attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I was. I wish I was buying the thing in in March of 2020, right? Like that. Yeah. That was yeah, exactly. that was the time to get it, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, totally. Although there were other really great things there as well. So there lies which the difference. Last week, right? Which is where exactly that idea of like, what do you buy when it's cheap enough and all that kind yeah. of stuff. It's a uh, interesting idea. I should. And just one thing before we move on from CBA. Um, even though it feels pretty brutal that it's come back 10% the last couple of days, it's still, mm-hmm. even after that fall, up 18% from where it was on January 1. It's been a great year for CBA shareholders. It really has, hasn't it? <laughs> you can't complain. So you've got to say that. I mean, not, you know, it hasn't been really great over, mm-hmm. the, long, over the last five yeah. years or so on average, yeah. but yeah, yeah, so far, yeah, it's been a pretty good year. 
Focus on the future. Don't pay twice for quality. Mm-hmm. Mate, um, I've got all that long left. I want to talk just a little bit. Um, I'm going to have a bit of a rant. Can I have a bit of a rant? Is that all right? Please. I love a good rant. I'm, we've, we've been asked about ETFs before and about um, thematic ETFs before. Mm-hmm. And I've been pretty clear with my view on those. But I continue to see marketing for new ETFs that come out and say, hey, buy this ETF because it does X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And the product manufacturers, and let's call them that because that's what they are, are entirely entitled to do exactly that because they're offering you something. And as long as that, as long as they're honest, as long as the advertising is truthful and it reflects accurately the content of the ETF, they're entitled to create whatever the hell ETFs they want. <coughs> Excuse me. I have no issue with that mm-hmm. at all. What I want to let our listeners know, what I want to warn them about and educate them about is to be really careful about the definition of what an ETF is. Now, I've said this before, mate, but I, but I want to underscore it. So an exchange-traded fund is simply any fund trading on the ASX. By definition, that's exactly all, that's all it means. The problem is, mate, when you and I were, were, well, not kids, but younger than we are now, the only ETFs were broad, low-cost index funds like the Vanguard ASX 300 or the what's it, BlackRock or iShares ASX 200, S&P 500 tracking ETFs. They were index funds. Mm-hmm. And they happened to be listed on the exchange. The, the original index funds, you had to send a check to the broker, or the, the fund, as I said, you send a check to Vanguard and they, you know, you, so they send you a check back when, when you want to sell. They made them exchange traded to make easy access, which is fantastic. Really, really great. The problem is that that, that gave the, the phrase or the acronym ETF a halo of, oh, right, I know ETFs. They're these really boring, broad, low-cost things that are going to give you the market return and they're a really smart, safe, sensible investment, uh, hands-off investment many people can do, want to do, should do, all that kind of stuff. Mm. And that's great. That's wonderful. Then other, other people went, oh, hang on, we, we kind of like that idea of the exchange traded fund structure. We can create our own ETFs. And those ETFs then can take on and do take on any structure or any any context, any makeup they want. So we've gone from Vanguard's ASX 300 fund or S&P 500 fund where you've got you know, a market-weighted, simple, basic, basic passive in the, in, the, in the technology or the, the, um, terminology. the jargon. Mm-hmm. Terminology, thank you. Um, you know, market-weighted, BHP is 2% of the index, so it's 2% of the fund, or 5% of the index is 5% of the fund. Uh, in the US, uh, IBM is so much of the index, so it's so much of the fund, right? Really simple, passive, super low cost. Here's the market return, less a tiny, tiny amount for fees. You're well done, congratulations, you're welcome. These days, everyone is selling something. And they're entitled to and they're allowed to, as I said. But they are making a product now, not because it is low cost, not because it is broad-based, not because it is diversified, but because they think you might be able to be talked into buying it. And that's Marketing 101. Again, they're entirely allowed to. But they then say, this is an ETF. And the unspoken bit, they mightn't even mean it. But the investor says, oh, yeah, like the Vanguard ones. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, no, ETFs are great. Everyone says ETFs are great. I should buy an ETF. And so all of a sudden, that gets a halo that it doesn't deserve, right? Mm. Uh, and people buy it. It's almost a shortcut to a purchase decision. Mm. I don't have to look at the companies. I'll just buy the ETF. And that's great if you're buying the index. But there are so many out there now and everything, whether you want electric vehicles, whether you want cybersecurity, whether you want, I saw one recently for another another bloody ethical ETF, right? So You can get a crypto ETF. ETF, my friend. You can. We've got a question about that on Sunday, believe it or not. Okay. Um, with, with an interesting question, so I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing that with you on Sunday. Um, so this is the thing, right? Now, just because an ETF doesn't mean a thing, a thing, and don't start to, please don't start to, combine or, or confuse or conflate in your head, even subconsciously, those two things. You have no business buying a crypto ETF unless you've had done the work literally properly, you, you know, as if you were doing this for a quid. Have you done the work to justify that purchase? Mm. If you're buying a cybersecurity or a gold or a tech or a whatever you're buying, unless you're buying it specifically for low-cost, broad-based index diversification, you are buying it as if you built a portfolio for yourself with those companies. Mm. And unless you know that you know that you know that these are the companies you would have bought individually and separately and they're good value and the futures are bright, as we just talked about with the other, the other companies – then you really have no business buying these ETFs. Now, there are a lot of ETF pros out there who will hate me for saying this. I don't really care. It just means I've got even f- uh, fewer career prospects in, after the Motley Fool. Um, but, but, you know, I, I love ETFs. ETFs are wonderful. The broad-based, diversified, low-cost index ones are fantastic. I love the hell out of them. I own some myself. I'm a massive, massive fan. But don't let 
your brain be um, sidestepped, shortcut, um, bypassed by putting an ETF label on it going, oh, that must be okay then. Of course I can buy the crypto ETF because I'm not buying the crypto. It's an ETF. ETFs are good. They're great. I'll just buy an ETF. Mm. That's what we do, right? Subconsciously or even consciously. And the problem with saying this to people is they say, oh, I'm not like that. I'm not me, not me. Yes, you. Yes, everybody who's listening to this. That's the point. Um, so please, please, please. This is my plea. Um, just don't let the marketing of an ETF overcome the sceptical part of your brain that says, am I sure I should buy this? Because it's just too easy to do. Um, everyone says, oh, I believe in this trend, therefore I'll buy the ETF, therefore I'll be rich. And I've said this before and I'll, I'll say it again, by the way, so get used to it because um, it's, it's super important for those people who are listening who are, have ne- not necessarily had the same experience you might have had. But just please be really careful. It's I was going to say it's predatory. That's too strong a term. Uh, but they are preying on the label ETF, the shortcut in your brain that says, but it's diversified, but I can buy it, but it's a theme, but I, I believe in this thing. Um, it, it, for, for good or ill, um, it means that investors who buy these things are not doing the appropriate due diligence. And if I said you had to buy each individual stock individually, make your own ETF, people wouldn't do it because they say it's too hard. I've got that much time to analyze those companies. Great, don't buy the ETF because if you don't know what you're buying, you don't know what you're buying. And it's effectively a pre-made portfolio. Think about it that way. Would you buy those companies in that proportion at those prices today if you didn't have the ETF available? If your answer is no, then that should be the answer on the ETF as well. How's that for a rant, dude? Yeah, yeah I, I think it's good. Um, yeah, just, just <laughs> have it. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I've got nothing to add. I, I think you just need to have a, have a think about it. Go beyond the narrative. As I've often tried to caution people, you've got to go below, beyond that first level thinking, i.e. electric vehicles yes. are going to be big, therefore anything that has anything to do with lithium <laughs> is going to be big. Well, not necessarily, right? Um, there's, mm-hmm. you, you've, got to, you've got to think a little bit deeper than that. I mean, overall, I love ETFs, um, but yeah, as as with you, my bias is towards the low cost, broad based ones. I think I think that's mm. that's where their real use case is. Nothing wrong with the sector specific or theme based one, but you've mm. got to be very positive on that theme. And moreover, the companies that are being represented by that theme and the trading strategy that's that's around that's disclosed around that as well. Like, it's all it's all good and well to be into cybersecurity or whatever, yeah. But, yeah. but you know, uh, are the companies that that and the methodology that they're using to select the companies to put in that ETF a sound mm. one, a good one, mm. one that you agree with. Um, yeah, it's very, very important. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I just, it, <laughs> it's hard, mate. We both work in the financial service industry and people, I've, I've been, someone said to me on Twitter, you guys sell stuff too. Isn't it the same? I'm like, no, we're actually saying, we're trying to sell you something. Here, please buy my product. That, that's the point, right? We're not hiding under an ETF. We're not selling the Motley Fool's active ETF. But trust me, it's like an ETF, but better. Mm. We're literally saying, buy my newsletter. Um, I hope it makes you some money. If it doesn't, then you know don't, don't renew or whatever. Um, so yeah, we're, we're absolutely trying to sell. And the financial industry, service industry is great at that because there's a lot of money sloshing around and a lot of smart people know if they can just get a tiny slice of that. Um, and ETFs are a wonderful business model because you don't do anything. There's no active management, most of them. They just combine them together. Maybe you have a meeting once a month. I'm sure it's a bit more than that. I don't mean to undersell these people. And they're not, they're not bad people in themselves. They're not even bad investors in and of themselves. But the whole idea, these things exist because someone's gone, oh, I know how we can make some money. Let's create an ETF for ethical investing or for gold or for those people who are scared about a market crash or for those who are scared about currency movements. Or for those, they're, not trying to, they're not trying to help you solve your problem as in they're trying to say to you, hey, here's what you should do. They're saying, oh, if you want it, I, here it is then, I guess, you know. Yeah. It's a bit, we started with politics, mate. We're kind of back at the same point, right? Mm. If, I, if I can play to your pre-existing prejudices, I can either get you to vote for me or buy my ETF. And either way, I'm going to do pretty well if I can tap into that. Um, we're here regularly saying... Uh, maybe there's a way to think about this. Those people are saying, well, don't, don't, let me, don't let me stop you. You want to do that? Sure. Buy my ETF. Mm. Thanks very much. I'll go on holidays mm. to Switzerland when the borders reopen. So yep. just be a little bit careful. Yeah, it's always, it's, it was it maybe Peter Lynch? One of the, one of, someone said, you know, know what you're buying and why you're buying it. It's just such yes. a great mantra. Yeah. yeah, but all of what you're buying, right? Don't, and that second level thing, as you said, like that's, yeah. that, that's actually the, a better point. I should have, you summed it up beautifully. It's like, yeah, you know, EVs, are, more or less your vehicles are going to be sold, therefore an EV ETF makes sense. Like, no, that's not how, that's not how it works. Mm. There is, you know, <laughs> that, that's like, you know, um, I should make a computer, now I'm Bill Gates. Yes. No, that, that's not how it works. You have to do the bits in between there, right, yes. to get from one to the other. Yep. That's, how, that's how the process goes. Mate, we are all but out of time, unfortunately, which makes me sad because uh, we've got a lot of other stuff to talk about. Will you come back on Sunday? Always. We have a question about a crypto ETF. Oh, definitely. Which, oh, God. All right. 
Um, can I tell you, by the way, we are getting, we mentioned crypto once. I reckon half the questions we're getting now about cryptos and Bitcoin. So we, we've tapped into a rich vein of interest, if nothing else. So hot right uh, now. Either that or <laughs> either congratulations, mate, or you're responsible for misleading a whole lead, 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 lead of our listeners. I'm not sure which, but uh, we might find out on Sunday. How All about right. that? I'm looking forward to it. Good, good. Between now and Sunday, jump onto your computer, go to strawman.com, check out what Andrew has to offer. He's doing a wonderful job there of helping his members and, and readers, viewers, whatever you call your people, um, do their thing, uh, including, I think it's, uh, is it a private investment club? Is that what you call that it thing? It sure is. Private online investment club. That's us. <laughs> oh, online. Okay. Online? A poik. You have to come up with an acronym for that, mate. You never make it in the public service that acronym. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's going to be something else. Uh, otherwise, jump to fool.com.au. Um, by the way, if you're on social media, send us your questions there. Um, I'll start with the mail. Email us if you're an email sort of person, info, I-N-F-O, at fool.com.au. If you want to follow Andrew on Twitter, you should. Go to strawmaninvest or sage underscore Simeon, which is Andrew's personal Twitter account. If you want to follow me on Twitter or Insta, use the handle TMFScottP. If you want to follow The Motley Fool on Twitter or Insta, go to The Motley Fool AU. And if you're on Facebook, try and look me up at Scott Phillips Money. That's just facebook.com slash Scott Phillips Money or facebook.com slash The Motley Fool Australia. Until then, mate, see you Sunday. Cheers. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.